that he was born smiling. In fact, Jubal says our infant softly hummed a tune on and off in the delivery room. Although I was present at the birth, I have no memory of Milo's musical performance because I fainted. Penny does not remember it either, because, although conscious, she was distracted by the postpartum hemorrhaging that had caused me to pass out. I do not doubt Jubal Frost's story. Milo has always been full of surprises. For good reason, his nickname is Spooky. On his third birthday, Milo declared, We're gonna rescue a doggy. Penny and I assumed he was acting out something he had seen on TV, but he was a preschooler on a mission. He climbed onto a kitchen chair, plucked the car keys from the pegboard, and hurried out to the garage as if to set off in search of an endangered canine. We took the keys away from him, but for more than an hour he followed us around, chanting, "'We're gonna rescue a doggy!' until, to save our sanity, we decided to drive him to a pet shop and redirect his canine enthusiasm toward a gerbil or a turtle, or both. En route, he said, "'We're almost to the doggy!' Half a block later, he pointed to a sign, "'Animal Shelter.' We assumed, wrongly, that it was the silhouette of a German shepherd that caught his attention, not the words on the sign. "'In there, Daddy!' Scores of forlorn dogs occupied cages, but Milo walked directly to the middle of the center row in the kennel and said, "'This one!' She was a fifty-pound, two-year-old Australian shepherd mix with a shaggy black-and-white coat, one eye blue and the other gray. She had no collie in her, but Milo named her Lassie. Penny and I loved her the moment we saw her. Somewhere, a gerbil and a turtle would remain in need of a home. In the next three years, we never heard a single bark from the dog. We wondered whether our Lassie, following the example of the original, would at last bark if Milo fell down an abandoned well or became trapped in a burning barn, or whether she would instead try to alert us to our boy's circumstances by employing urgent pantomime. Until Milo was six and Lassie was five, our lives were not only free of calamity, but also without much inconvenience. Our fortunes changed with the publication of my sixth novel, One O'Clock Jump. My first five had been bestsellers. Way to go, Angel Ralph. Penny Boom, of course, is THE Penny Boom, the acclaimed writer and illustrator of children's books. They are brilliant, funny books. More than for her dazzling beauty, more than for her quick mind, more than for her great good heart, I fell in love with her for her sense of humor. If she ever lost her sense of humor, I would have to dump her. Then I'd kill myself because I couldn't live without her. The name on her birth certificate is Brunhild, which means someone who is armored for the fight. By the time she was five, she insisted on being called Penny. At the start of World War Wax, as we came to call it, Penny and Milo and Lassie and I lived in a fine stone and stucco house under the benediction of graceful Phoenix Palms in Southern California. We didn't have an ocean view, but didn't need one, for we were focused on one another and on our books. Because we'd seen our share of Batman movies, we knew that evil with a capital E stalked the world, but we never expected that it would suddenly, intently turn its attention to our happy household, or that this evil would be drawn to us by a book I had written. Having done a twenty-city tour for each of my previous novels, I persuaded my publisher to spare me that ordeal for one o'clock jump. Consequently, on publication day, a Tuesday in early November,
I got up at three o'clock in the morning to brew a pot of coffee and to repair to my first-floor study. Unshaven, in pajamas, I undertook a series of thirty radio interviews, conducted by telephone between four and nine-thirty a.m., which began with morning shows on the East Coast. Radio hosts, both talk jocks and traditional tune spinners, do better interviews than TV types. Rare is the TV interviewer who has read your book, but eight of ten radio hosts will have read it. Radio folks are brighter and funnier, too, and often quite humble. I don't know why this last should be true, except perhaps the greater fame of facial recognition which comes with regular television exposure encourages pridefulness that ripens into arrogance. After five hours on radio, I felt as though I might vomit if I heard myself say again the words, one o'clock jump. I could see the day coming when, if I was required to do...